Anybody feel like they read all of those? You figured them all out? Rick did, but Rick, you're smarter than everybody in the room. So, uh, yeah, when I was reading through those, there were several of those I didn't get. You know, texting has its own language now. Not now, it's it's old now, but uh, it has its own language. I read yesterday where the average person, okay? So for every average here, you understand there's some that are higher than this, some that are lower than this. The average person that owns a cell phone in the United States sends 19 text messages per day. So some of you in the room, you're like, I've never sent a text message, but I have a cell phone. So somebody is making up for you. Uh, 19 text messages per day. That's a huge deal. We're not talking about text messaging today. I just thought that was really interesting. We are talking about the Ten Commandments today. And really what we're doing is over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about relationships. You know, relationships are a funny thing because we all have them or want them or want to get out of them or, you know, relationships, they just kind of, they define a part of our life. You know, relationship, the human experience was not meant to be lived in isolation. And so relationships really allow for us to, to live and to do life in the way that it was ordained, the way that it was kind of created by God. And so over the next three weeks, we want to look at relationships. We want to look at what it means to live in these real relationships. Thus, the, the title there, Relationships. Did you catch that? You, you guys got that? I know Rick got that. But I mean, everybody else, did you get that? Relationships? Yeah. So we're going to look at this over the next couple of weeks. And we're going to look at some foundational principles today. And, and the thing is, you know these. Um, the things that I'm going to talk about today, um, you know these things. I know these things. They're not new ideas. But really, I think a lot of times where we get stuck is not in learning new things. It's doing the things that we already know. And so hopefully today, as we're talking a little bit, as we're sharing a little bit, it will be some things that um, help us just to remember what we already knew and maybe start to live those things out a little better. I want us to jump, if we can, back into the Old Testament. We're going to look to the book of Exodus, if you've got your Bibles. Um, The book of Exodus is very, very early in your Bible. If you flip very far, you've gone, gone too far. Um, But it's Genesis, Exodus, so it's the second book of the Bible. Uh, And we're going to look at the Ten Commandments. Now, we have the Ten Commandments up here on stage with me with a very nice orange. That's not orange. I'm not colorblind. That's green um, with a green glow on it. But uh, we're going to look at the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were given to us and given to the people of Israel, the the Hebrew people there, the nation of Israel. They were given early in their story. Um, God gave this to them, and it's, it's a couple places in Scripture that, that it's referenced. Uh, but it, it's, it's a kind of, again, foundational. And there's two trains of thought when you think about the Ten Commandments. The first train of thought here is the idea that are these the guiding principles for all of us to live by? All right? The second idea is, was this just really the framework given to this special certain group of people in this special certain time to help them establish their nation, their group of people? And the answer to both of those questions is yes. And so we're going to look at that today and really kind of look at how this applies to our lives. And so there's a good bit of scripture right here up front. But I want us to read all of it so that we understand. Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse 3. It will be up on the screens if you don't have your Bible with you today. Here's what it says. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers of the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the, the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. 
On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. Verse 11, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Verse 12, honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. For parents, I'm going to read that one more time for all the students in the room. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Verse 13, you shall not murder. Verse 14, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You should not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Can I get an amen? I'm going to do it one more time. I need this side to wake up. Can I get an amen? Amen. There we go. I got some. Listen, when we read these things, I don't know how you look at them. Uh, When I was a a junior, I guess maybe a senior in high school, I worked at a a golf course. um, And one of our assistant pros at that golf course, he, uh, he kind of viewed the Ten Commandments as a test. And so his thought was there's ten questions on this test. And if I get six or seven of those right, that's passing. So that's all that really God could ask of me, right? And so I don't know how you view the Ten Commandments. I don't know how you look at them as it relates to the way that you live. I don't know if they have any bearing on your life at all. But I want to sum these things up. And as we sum them up, I want to talk a little bit about what they look like and really how for us they relate to the relationships in our lives. All right, so I'll try not to bore you, but here's how this is summed up. Here's the Ten Commandments. This is the summary uh, version in what it makes sense to me. The first one is no gods other than God. So your translation may say no gods before me or no gods uh, before God. And so sometimes if you read that, you, you think, okay, one of two things. Is it saying I can't have any other gods or is it saying that I just can't have any other gods that are before Jehovah God or higher than, than that in his ranking system or whatever. But when you look at the original language here, you understand that this is talking about there's just one God. You can only worship one God. There can literally only be one God in your life. And, and, and I don't know what your faith background is. I don't know how you've kind of come to faith or how you are coming to faith. So I don't know what that looks like for you. But I know for a lot of people, it may not be, uh, you know, the same kind of deal where you come together to worship something else with a bunch of other people. Um, I, I'm sure that you don't do that. But maybe there's some things in your life or in my life, if we're not careful, they become gods to us. Right. And so I think that's where we have to really be careful in understanding that the God that we serve, Jehovah God, is, is the one that we serve according to this, this commandment here. And there should be no other gods. Number two, no idol worship. Now, we're not just talking, when I used to think idols, I only thought about, you know, somebody carving, like whittling a statue out of wood or bark or something. Just making something out of gold or silver. And I can't do any of those things. So I thought, I've never created an idol. I can't do that. I, you know, if I got a knife out, I'm going to cut myself. Like, I, I know I'm not going to create an idol of any kind. But this is a much larger idea than this. An idol really is about don't create anything that requires, like, ritualistic worship towards something else. So let me put it this way. We're not just talking about like, don't take this piece of paper and say, oh, I think there's something, you know, like there's a deity being about this paper and I'm going to worship this. No, we're not doing that. That's fruitcake people, right? We're not doing that. What we're talking about here is we're saying, I've figured out the formula to get to God. I've figured out the formula. I know how to do it. There's a systematic way to get to God. And so whether it's this paper or it's that television, um, figuratively or literally, or whether it's just something else that I'm putting my worship towards, which we sang about, I've figured out that if I do this, that God responds to me. 
And so we're saying, I'm not going to create any type of system, any type of formula to get to God. I understand that I'm not going to create this idle sense of worship. Number three, don't take the Lord's name in vain. And so this is just any misuse of the name of God. This is not just, you know, certain aspects like I was taught growing up. You don't say this or you don't do this or they bleep this out on TV. This is just any misuse of the word of God. And as God was giving this to the Hebrew people, you have to understand this is a group of people that wouldn't even utter the name of God. They wouldn't write the name of God in any capacity. Why? Because there was a sense of awe and reverence about the name of God. Why? Because name represents identity. Right? The way that I call you or the way that I separate you. If I just said, hey, you, and point in a general direction, anybody in that general direction turns around and looks at me. But I'm going to isolate someone by calling them by name. I'm going to say, I know who you are. I'm referencing you specifically. And so if I call the name of God in that, that kind of sense, I'm, I'm referencing his identity. And, and by using that name in some other context, it's a misuse of that. And now I'm saying... I'm kind of taking the awe and reverence out of the identity of who God is. And I think in our culture, and I'm just as guilty of this sometimes, we've lost a little bit of that reverence of who God is. We've lost a sense that God is something special. He is someone special. He's just, he's who we pray to when we're sitting at the Mexican restaurant. And so, I mean, that's, there's nothing special about the Mexican restaurant, so there might not be anything special about God, right? I don't know why I always talk about food. I have no idea. I think I get hungry about this time every Sunday. But I just feel like in our culture, in our society, and again, I'm so guilty of this, we've lost that sense of awe and reverence to who God is. So we tend to use his name, which actually speaks to a kind of an irreverence of the identity of God. Number four, remember the Sabbath. This one's a difficult because we're workaholics, a lot of us. Remembering the Sabbath. This is an example of God in creation. It's kind of reiterated by God in creation. And then it becomes a part of the foundational principles for his people that he's setting apart. But it really speaks to a larger idea, a larger principle that God is our provider. Because if you think that you're your provider, you just work all week long. You never take a break. You never kind of allow your body to rest and breathe. You never take a sense of, okay, I'm going to recuperate here. I'm going to take a sense and just be still and peaceful. I'm going to spend time with family. I'm not going to work. I'm not going to return emails. I mean, I'm sure they had some type of email process in the Bible. I'm not going to return emails. I'm not sending the message back by horse-drawn buggy. I am going to rest, right? But in this sense, what we understand is that we're supposed to have a time of rest. We're supposed to have a sense and a time where we, we stop and we acknowledge that God with you, if I'm honoring you with my life, I'm honoring you with the Sabbath, then you can accomplish through me more in six days than I can accomplish by myself in seven. And there's a huge sense of that here. Verse uh, number five is honor your father and mother. This is not just about mothers and fathers and children. This is about how do you handle authority. This is about how does authority take a role in your life. It is an understanding that God uses the symbolism of family time and time and time again in scripture to help us see relationship with him. And so by honoring our father and mother, there's actually a promise of what's going to happen to us from God if we honor our earthly fathers and mothers. So there's a sense of authority and there's the sense of family representing relationship with God. Number six, seven, eight, they, they, they tend to get very simple here. Number six, don't murder. That's just good advice. I mean, that's just good practical living there. But there is the idea that God is the giver, the sustainer, and the taker of life. And so I don't want to assume a role in that and take life from someone else. Number seven, don't commit adultery. It speaks to purity of relationship and honoring the covenant that you made with someone else. Number eight, don't steal. 
Don't take, someone, don't take something that belongs to someone else. Again, it speaks to seeing God as provider. Those who steal are usually trying to acquire something that they don't have the means to acquire themselves. And so they're, they're stealing it. They're taking it for themselves to, to, to kind of be the one that creates something for themselves. But if we look to God as provider, there's really no need to steal. It also honors our neighbor, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. Number nine, don't lie. Very simple, but we do it all the time. Don't lie. Purity, truthfulness, just being a person of your word and integrity, not not sugarcoating the truth, not shading the truth, but just speaking the truth and, and knowing how to speak the truth in every situation. So don't lie. And number 10, don't covet your neighbor's stuff, whether that be their horses or their spouse or their house or whatever. Covet is the idea of desiring or wanting or craving something. And I'll just tell you right now, cravings are usually never good. They're just not. You know, not always are they sinful, but they're usually never good, right? And so the idea that I'm, I'm coveting, I'm craving, I'm desiring something, that's probably something I need to really evaluate and see where it's at in the health barometer of my life. Am I, if I'm craving something, why am I craving it? So I need to evaluate that. But this is not speaking about me. I mean, this right here, don't covet your neighbor's stuff. This is not about my desires. This is about my neighbor. Why? Because there might be some things, according to Scripture, that it's okay to desire. That it's, it's okay to want. It's okay to maybe covet or crave a little bit some of the things that you might want. But I can't do it if it's my neighbor's because it's his. So don't covet your neighbor's stuff is not just about my desire. It's also about my neighbor. I can't crave, desire his stuff because when I do, it creates a tension between us in relationship. And so here's, here's the bottom line of this. God is establishing... A nation. He's establishing a people in the midst of all these pagan, unbelieving nations. All right. So just imagine if you've ever played the game Risk, or you you know kind of how this plays out. You got a bunch of nations around, and then right in the middle of that's this nation that God's trying to create. How does He set them apart? How does He make them different from everybody else? He gives them a sense of rules, and one of the first things He does that's going to separate them is He says, "Listen, serve only Me." Acknowledge only me. I'm the one true God. And out of that relationship, there's a couple things that I want you to do. Don't create anything else other than just right relationship with me to try to get to me. No idol worship. Don't use my name in vain. Don't misuse my name, my identity. And honor the Sabbath. Kind of rest. It shows that we have relationship with one another and you trust me to be your provider. So the first four of the Ten Commandments are about relationship to God. And so as he's establishing those people, can you throw the 10 back up there real quick? I told you to take it off at this point, but throw it back up there for me. No gods other than God, no idol worship. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath. If you stop right there, those four things are about me and God. It's it's just this idea that if I do those things, I'm really focusing on my relationship to God and making sure that my life aligns with relationship to him. Then if you look at the next six, honor your father and mother. That's about relationship with someone else. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, don't covet your neighbor's stuff. This is horizontal. The other was vertical. This is horizontal here where I'm in relationship with other people. I've got to live in right relationship with them. And so as God's establishing this covenant relationship with his people, he kind of gives them 10 things that really will set them apart, but also be guiding principles for them. And the 10 commandments were not intended to be have you, ever, have you ever seen like any book of law or code of law for any established group of people? I mean, it's like thick. There's volumes. There's multiple books of this. 
But what the Ten Commandments were, were just the foundational principles. It was kind of the framework. And so the judges that came and used these as the code of law for the people of Israel, it was their job to interpret these things to decide if someone had done wrong. And, and, and the people that were living among the people of Israel here, it wasn't that they just looked at this and go, okay, I don't want to kill, but maybe there's a way I can kind of set a trap and he'll die, but I won't be there. No, because what is the intent of this law is that I'm not supposed to be involved in taking anyone's life, right? And that one's easy. We kind of all agree with that for the most part. But when you start getting, thou shalt not lie, but there's some times when I might have to shade the truth a little. No, the foundational principle here is that I'm supposed to be honest. I'm supposed to be truthful. And so when the judges would sit and they would take this as the code of law to kind of judge and guide the people, they weren't just taking it, you know, the letter of the law. You see today when people go to trial and sometimes they get off because the letter of the law doesn't specifically address the specific thing that they did and they get off on a technicality. There were no technicalities when this was the rule of law for the people of Israel. This was just the intent of the law and the judges had the right to interpret these to see how it fit with the actions of those who were involved in the various things that they were doing. But this is basic low-level living, really. I mean, if you think about it, I'm not saying they're all really easy to keep. I think some of us, when you heard that my boss thought like 6 or 7 out of 10 was good, you're thinking, yeah, no kidding. That's a pretty high mark. I mean, I was kind of a D student as well, and I'm really aiming for that in this same thing here. This is pretty basic low-level living, especially the last six. Especially when we look at how we are to relate to one another. I mean, if you have a problem with any of these, please stand up and we'll remove you from the church. But don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. And don't want all of my stuff. Like, those are pretty basic. Like, that's just kind of foundational living. You throw in honor your father and mother, which can be difficult at times. I understand that. And then you kind of get to the things of God and you look at how does this relate to my life. And so this interesting thing happens. This stayed around for hundreds of years. And it was the way that people were governed. It was the way that people lived. There were other laws. But there was something pretty special about these because God etched them in stone. Like there was other laws. It was written on scrolls. It was written on paper. And they used those and they would read those from time to time. You can read about that in Deuteronomy and Leviticus. And there were other things that they pointed to. But there's something special that God would etch these things permanently so that they could reference them. You read in, this is in Exodus 20. You can read it about, about it again when they quote it again in Deuteronomy. This is something pretty special. So God's making a point of this. And it stays around for hundreds of years. And then this crazy thing happens. We get to the New Testament. And this guy shows up named Jesus. And if you don't know about Jesus, he claimed to be the son of God. And he came and he lived. And he taught some really new thoughts and he taught some things that they already knew. And he referenced some of these commandments in his teaching. In Matthew chapter 5, he references the idea, don't commit adultery. He actually says it this way. He says, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. I say, don't even look at a woman with lust in your heart. So he takes this basic low-level living and he kind of raises the bar a little bit. He says, you've heard it said, don't kill. That's a good place to start. I say don't even look at anyone with anger in your heart, hatred in your heart. 
So he takes this idea that you've kind of been walking around trying to keep the commandments, keep the law, keep the things that you thought were important. And really, I'm wanting to live in relationship with me and my father. And so I'm saying these are just kind of the basic levels. I want you to kind of grow out of these and grow into some bigger things. And I read this this morning. Twitter's an amazing thing. I follow a bunch of pastors and leaders, and, and the guy tweeted this this morning, which I thought was unbelievable. I'll retweet it after church. I wasn't even going to tell you it was his idea, so you'd think I was really smart. But I'll retweet it later. Here's what this says. Jesus never said, if you obey me, I will love you. He never said that. He never said, if you obey me, then I'll love you. He did say, if you love me, you will obey me. That's a huge difference. Whoever tweeted that was really smart. I'm going to read it one more time. Jesus never said, if you obey me, I will love you. He did say, if you love me, you will obey me. Huge difference. Because here's what happened. There were people in the time of Jesus who were walking around obeying him, trying to earn his love. They knew there were laws. They knew you had the Ten Commandments here, and they knew you had a bunch of others, a couple hundred in the Old Testament law that they had with them. And they were trying to figure out, how do I keep all those laws? And in their attempt to keep all of the laws, they missed the writer of the law. They missed the relationship trying to keep the ritual. And I think some of us probably do that. We think, hey, I'm supposed to kind of have this devotional life. I'm supposed to read the Bible. And then we miss a day and we're like, oh my God, I'm going to hell. The point of reading the Bible is not to check it off on your day. The point of reading the Bible is to figure out about the guy who wrote it. Right? Because we think there's a certain ritualistic idea to relationship. And I'm just telling you, if I approached my wife in some ritualistic way, I think the relationship would fall apart. No, she just wants to spend time with me. She wants to be with me. I want to be with her. And so there's a relationship there that is not based on keeping a certain set of criteria. Now, in relationship, there are things, there are covenant guidelines that I keep because I want to show her that I'm committed to the relationship. But I don't start with the rules. I start with the relationship. Does that make sense? Because in the days of Jesus, there were people walking around trying to keep the rules and they completely missed the relationship. And Jesus shows up and he says, hey, listen, I'm not here to abolish the law. Like, even if you have a relationship with me, that doesn't throw out everything that you know. I'm here to fulfill it. Relationship with me fulfills the law. Here's what he said in Matthew chapter 22. The people that were trying to keep all the rules, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the religious leaders here, they were trying to trick him. But this is what it says in Matthew 22. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, those stinking lawyers, every single time it's a lawyer. One of them, a lawyer, if you're in law, I'm sorry, uh, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great or greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So I don't know if you saw what happened right here, but a guy coming up trying to trick Jesus wanted him to isolate one of the ten to say it was more important than the other nine. And so he said, what is the great, or maybe your translation says, what is the greatest commandment? What is the one that's elevated above all the others? And it's more important than that. Because these were guys that felt like you had to keep all the hundreds of laws. And so Jesus takes all of those and he references two things. And he doesn't make these two lines up by himself. If you go to scripture, you'll find it. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and it's in Leviticus, I think, chapter 6 as well. And so he references two things here. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, depending on the version that you're reading, which gospel. 
So love the Lord your God with all that you are completely. That's, that's the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. So he's equating that there is, there's a similar power in the second part here. So he's not just keeping one. He's got one that encapsulates the first four of the commandments that we read. Love God with everything you are. The second is like it. Next six. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so he takes ten and he gets us down to two. So we have ten commandments that we started with. We're down to two. Today's message is called relationship by numbers. We're kind of painting by numbers here. We're going to see if we can refine this down to get a picture of what relationships really look like. What's the foundational principles here? And so Jesus shows up and he takes these ten things and he sums the first four up with love God with everything you are. He takes the next six and he sums those up with love other people like you love yourself. And that's saying a lot because most of us love ourselves a whole lot. Right? We're pretty hung up on how awesome we are. And so what he's saying is you take all that stuff that you see in the mirror, most of the stuff that you like, and you turn that same affection and attention and how much you think about yourself and how much you think about how everything affects you. Turn that around and point it towards other people and think about them that way. Love them that way. Nurture relationships through that filter. He takes out the words like covet and bear false witness and he replaces them with a very simple concept. Love God and love people. Very simple. He goes on with this same idea in the book of John. John chapter 15. I want us to read a couple verses here before we kind of wrap this up. John chapter 15, beginning in verse 9. This is what he says. He's speaking to his disciples. And he's talking to them. And these guys are guys that have walked with him for several years. They've seen the ministry. They've seen the healings. They've listened to the teaching. And he's talking to them about the relationship that they have access to with him. He's talking about a vine and a branch. But this is what he says in John 15. He says, as the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be full. Verse 12, listen to this. This is my commandment, singular. Notice he referenced commandments, plural, in the last two verses. This is my commandment, singular. That you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So Jesus took ten commandments. And Matthew chapter 22, he makes them two. Love God completely. And love other people the way you love yourself. And then just right before he goes to the cross to actually lay down his life for his friends who he's talking to, which... I think weird things. Jesus is sitting with his friends. And I'm so thankful that he doesn't think like me. But I think he's almost bragging a little. I think he's almost saying, not bragging, that's too harsh. He, he's almost kind of helping them to see what's to come. Like, you've never experienced love like I'm about to show you. Like, no greater love will anybody ever have than a man who will lay down his life for his friends. I think he's hoping that they'll get it. And they're like, oh, that's so deep, master. That is so deep, rabbi. That's awesome. Like, write that one down. We don't want to forget that. That's really good. But I really feel like he's trying to help them see that. But what did he do? He took 10 and he made it two. But really, it's about one. It's about the one, capital O, Jesus. Because in John chapter 15, he shows us through this illustration of the vine and the branches. He says that if we are connected 
to him, we're connected to kind of the source, the power source, that we're going to bear fruit. That people are going to see through the way that we live the product of who we're connected to. And that's important when we talk about relationships. Because what he says right here is he says, you know, there's a, there's a ton of things here. There's 10, and even beyond these 10, there's a couple hundred. And, and, man, that's a lot of things to remember. Like, you guys don't even get what I'm saying right now. Like, you can't figure that out. I'm not sure how you're going to keep 10 or a couple hundred. And so I don't know if you were listening earlier, but I said some things about there being two. Love God with everything you are and love your neighbor as yourself. But really, I just want to get it to one thing so you can get this idea. And here's the one thing. Love one another as I've loved you. This is my commandment, singular, commandment, one, single, love one another as I've loved you. If you keep reading in John 15, you get to verse 18 and it starts like this. The world will hate you because they hated me. So let me throw a $2 word at you, juxtapose. Okay, $2 word. Love, hate. God loves, Jesus loved, the world hates. And so here's the evaluation filter about the commandments. Do I hate or do I love? Am I connected to God through Jesus Christ? Or am I a part of the world system that hates? They hate me. They hate everybody. They hated Jesus. It's the filter. It's the context by which I look through and say, how do I evaluate my relationships? And here's the crazy thing. Like, Jesus was the embodiment of the relational aspect of the commandments. Like, Jesus was, when you look at Jesus, you saw these. Does that make sense? Like, if you look at these and you go, I don't even know how I'm supposed to keep these. I don't know how to live this out. I'm not sure how to do this. When you read the Bible sometimes and you get confused and you're like, I don't really know where to turn. I don't know where to start reading. I would encourage you. And people tell people all kinds of places to read. You know, start in Genesis and just read the story. It's a really great story. Start in Romans. That's a, that kind of sums up the Gospels. And start in Acts. That's the story of the early church. I would say start with Jesus. I would just choose somewhere that you see red letters and start reading there because Jesus said those things. Because if you can get Jesus, you can figure this out. If you can get Jesus, you can figure relationships out. If you can get Jesus, you can figure money out. He talked about all those things. Start with Jesus and then build on that. The problem sometimes is we know so much about the Bible that we don't know Jesus. Right? We know so much about the church that we've lost him. And so my challenge to all of us as we look at relationships is let's start with the first relationship. Let's start with who did Jesus point to? How did he live his life? No other gods other than me. He pointed to the Father. He had relationship with the Father. And here's what John 15 shows us. This vine and branch illustration. Here's what what it shows us. God loved Jesus. And then he says to his followers, I, Jesus, loved you. Now you love one another. I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the line. God loved Jesus. Jesus loved them. They should love one another. And you and I are the byproduct of the fact that they actually did that. We're sitting here today because they carried that out. And I wonder this. 
Who will sit in places like this a hundred years from now based on the way that we love one another? Do we love people? Christ made the commandments this tangible relationship when we look at it as a bunch of rules. And so here's some things I wrote down. I do this a lot because I don't want to forget some of these things. This is what it looks like for me. He loved, I should love. He showed mercy, I should show mercy. He forgave, I should forgive. Healthy relationships with others, for me, start first in a healthy relationship with him. Doesn't mean I'm not going to have relational issues. It doesn't mean I'm not going to have stuff I got to work through. There's stuff I'm working through with him. But healthy relationships with others starts with a healthy relationship with him. And so here's some things just to ponder. As you look at real relationships, you look at the health of the relationships in your life. First and foremost, I think if you're sitting here this morning and I assume that there are several of us and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you need to start there. Because by having a relationship with Jesus Christ, you find these things. If you don't know where to start, start with him. And it's as simple as saying, Jesus, I want to have a relationship with you. I'm living my life on my own. I mean, I'm even coming to places like this and sometimes I'm engaged to what's going on, but I am living on my own and I'm doing things that I know don't meet the standards. They don't don't line up with the things that you say embody a relationship with you. And I need you to forgive my sins. And the Bible tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You're not some outcast somewhere. You're a part of humanity that's all done this. So I need you to forgive my sins and I need you to be the Lord of my life. Lead and guide and direct the way that I live. I'm going to start there. I'm going to start with relationship with you, Jesus. And then I want you to help me as this new Lord and Savior of my life. I want you to help me with the other relationships in my life that I've got to get some handles on. That's where you start today. And for those of us that say, hey, I'm, I'm a believer. I live in relationship with Jesus Christ. But I've, I've got some things I'm really kind of evaluating in relationships. Here's where I would start with you. I would evaluate my relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm not trying to create a formula. We talked about that. That's a, that's a no-no. But I'm saying I got to look inside of myself and say if relationship with Jesus is the embodiment of relationship with God. If God loved Jesus and Jesus loved me and I'm supposed to love others the way that Jesus loved me and I'm having some issues, maybe it's not my doing. Maybe I'm not the one that did it and I'm not claiming that you are. But I'm saying as, as much as it relates to me, how am I doing in this? There may be times that I've just got to cut the relationship off. I've got to let that person run away from me. And that's hurtful and it's harmful. And man, it just stings a lot. But if they're not pursuing the same things I'm pursuing, Jesus told his disciples sometimes, just shake your dust off your feet and keep moving. And sometimes you have to do that. But I think by and large, what we do is we extend grace and we extend love the way that Jesus did that to people who we would not have chosen. And so here's just, you know, a couple of couple things here. What is the way that I love others? Say to those others about the love of Christ in me. Like the people that I claim to love, they also know that I claim to love Jesus. The way that I love them, what does that say to them about the way that I love Christ or that Christ's love lives in me? What does my relationship with others generally say about my relationship with Christ? I want you to look at this last one. They're going to put it up on the screen for you. This is just something to kind of meditate on for this week. 
If people looked at the relationships in my life, would they know I had a relationship with Jesus? If people looked at the relationships in my life, would they know I had a relationship with Jesus? For those of us that don't have a relationship with Jesus, the answer to that is probably not. And that's, that's okay. As you come to that realization about a need for Jesus in your life, you start there and you work back out. But for those of us that claim to love Jesus, he's in our life, we have a relationship with him, we're here because we love him, we're worshiping him. If people looked at the relationships in my life, would they even know I had a relationship with Jesus? I mean, I've got this really difficult guy on my job. I've got this really difficult kid in my classroom. I've got this really difficult spouse who never listens to me. I've got this really difficult... What, I mean, you just walk through the relationships, and I get that there are things that you're kind of working through, but here's the bottom line filter for me. If people looked at the relationships in my life, would they know I had a relationship with Jesus? I'm going to ask the band to come. This is where... Where you start. If you're trying to figure it out, you got some relational issues in your life, start with Jesus. You got some things, you, you don't know why you and your husband or your wife are fighting like you've never fought before. Turn to Jesus. Get right with Jesus and start fresh. Just turn back and love your spouse the way you think. Jesus would love them if he was standing there in your shoes. See if it helps. You and your kids are fighting, man. You just don't know how in the world you're ever going to make it before they move out and not kill them. Like, you just can't figure it out. Or they've already moved out, and you're, you just don't know how you're going to maintain relationship. And you're, start with Jesus. Evaluate your heart. Evaluate your relationship with him, and then just turn back to them. And love them the very best you can, the way Jesus loved you. For some of us, that was a wayward son and daughter that walked away from a loving Heavenly Father. And when we turned back, he was right there waiting. So what should our sons and daughters find in us? You got people on the job, people at work, people in the home, people in your neighborhood. Turn to Jesus. And turn back to them and just love them the best way you can. Why? Because it's not about the ten and it's not about the two. It's about the one, Jesus. And he said, this is my commandment, that you love one another the way that I've loved you. Greater love have, has no man than he would lay his life down for his friends. How does the way that I love others reflect the love of Christ in me? I want you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. There's no stand up and come to the front prayer moment here. There's no stand and have people pray at your seats. This is just kind of a you and God personal reflection in your heart moment. I want you just to ask that question to yourself. You don't have to say it out loud unless you just want to. people looked at the relationships in my life, would they know I have a relationship with Jesus? If 
you don't have a relationship with Jesus and today you're ready, I want to give you that opportunity. Today's your day. There's no need to wait. Today could be the day that you enter into relationship with Jesus Christ for the first time, maybe for the first time in a while. And I don't promise that all your problems will go away. But I promise that you're starting in the right place. And so if today you would say to me, you know, Jeremy, I've, I've got sin in my life. I've got things in my life. I've got these roadblocks. I can't really ever get to God because of this stuff that I've attempted to do on my own. And I need the Lord to forgive me. I, I want to be in relationship with him. I want him to forgive my sins and I want him to lead my life. The relational dynamics in my life are probably in trouble because of the relationship or lack of relationship with Christ. And today I want to make that right. Would you just lift your hand? Put it right back down. Thank you. You can put it right back down. Thank you so much. Anybody else before we move on? If today you would just say, man, as I ask that question in my mind, I ask the question, if people looked at the relationships in my life, would they even know I had a relationship with Jesus? If you ask that and there's this part of your heart that's just pumping hard. In your mind, you're thinking of that person always seems to get to you. You're thinking of those people that you have so much trouble staying in right relationship with them and you want to start with Jesus and then turn to them and just love them the best way that you know how. I'm going to pray for you in the next few minutes and I'm just going to ask God to help you just experience anew the love of God in your own life so that you can love people out of that same context. Lord, we thank you for the people that raised their hand today. I thank you for people that turned their hearts to you that acknowledged you as Lord and Savior of their life. They've asked you today to forgive them of the things that they've done on their own to try to earn their way to you or to a happy, healthy life. And so today, God, would you forgive them of their sins? Would you be the Lord of their life? Would you lead and guide and direct them as they attempt to live life in ways that honor you? And God, for those of us that we we believe in you, we acknowledge that you're out there, we're still trying to figure it out, God, but we have some cognizant awareness of who you are. God, I pray now for the relationships in our lives. I pray that the people that we're in relationship with, God, that they would know that we love you by the way that we love them. And that God, starting right now in this moment, I mean, when we leave this place, there's a change in our hearts. There's a change in the way we relate to one another, that we love people. And that God, through that love, they know that we love you and are loved by you. God, we thank you so much that you gave us 10 commandments. And we thank you that Jesus helped us to summarize those things with two. We got ultimately, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, the one and only son that you have that allows us to have relationship with you so that we can have healthy relationships with others. In Jesus' name we pray.